Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. Wow, Julia, what an incredibly inspiring episode that was with Sarah Ma. Yes, I'm always fascinated to hear about those career journeys that really sometimes start by chance as a 15-year-old doing work experience in a dental surgery. And now she's the operations director for a series of orthodontic practices and working on a whole load of projects there, orthotherapy apprenticeships, dental software, and all the things that she did in between. I know, it's quite amazing, really. I mean, there's so many stories to tease out from her. So wherever you are, sit back and enjoy this episode with Sarah Ma. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Great to be here. Many people who we've interviewed for this podcast have described how they've kind of fallen into whatever dental profession that they're doing or the the backstory as being something a bit unusual. What's the backstory for you? How did you end up in dentistry? Um, I fell into dentistry uh, when I was 15. So I did my work experience at a dental practice. This was before um you know registration and indemnity insurance and all the the good stuff we have today um and i ended up nursing for the entire week with the dentist the nurse that he had just left me to it (laughs) just kind of threw me in and was like good luck so i did that for a week and actually really enjoyed it i loved you know the hands-on stuff and the dentist that i was nursing for was really really interesting he you know he was talking me through everything um and then at the end of the week, he actually paid me for it and was like, you were great. Here's, you know, 50 pound. Um, if you ever want a job when you leave school, just let me know. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'm going to college, but thanks for the offer. Anyway, 18 months later, I didn't enjoy college, that what I was studying just wasn't for me. So I contacted him and said, you know that job that you offered me like nearly two years ago, do you still want me? And he was like, yeah, of course, start on Monday. And then that was it then started nursing did my qualification and then just kind of all got swept along from there that was the beginning yeah that was the very beginning work experience so what got where did the work experience come from was that something that you decided you wanted to do was there a list and you picked that off or how did how did dental nursing end up coming into the work experience my next door neighbor was a dental nurse for him Okay. And I thought, I can just get a lift in every morning. <laughs> I can be with my next door neighbour who I've grown up with. So, yeah, why not? It's going to be a great week. There's always these chance encounters. Of... It was never, ever on the radar. Ever. I probably want, I wanted to study Happy medicine. Accident. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did want to study medicine originally. And then went to college and just thought college wasn't great. It just wasn't for me. And then my parents um, got divorced and just thought, I need to just get a job and start earning some money, really. And here we are. It's worked out all right. <laughs> Not done too bad. So then you were in general practice. Yeah. You were dental nursing and fairly content, but thinking, hey, there may be slightly different things out there. Yeah. And ended up getting a job with Manchester Urgent Dental Care um, sort of provision so that's obviously something quite different from chairside dentistry. Oh, entirely but, different. But very patient focused because yep. you were coordinating 
um, the urgent responses from dental patients in that PCT area. Yeah. So talk us through how you managed to go from chairside to to running an urgent care centre. Um, I just kind of, so I'd nursed for a good while at this point and I kind of, well, not mastered it, but there wasn't really much more for me to do as far as nursing goes. You know, I'd nursed for sedation, I'd done a bit of max vax, um, implants, ortho, and I was a bit like, it's not really much more for me to, to learn here. So I was just kind of browsing, I think it might have been Indeed or some job site, and there was a position for a dental nurse uh, to triage um, out of hours. And I thought, I'll give it a go, I'll go to the interview. I mean, I've got no experience in triaging, so I don't know if I'll get the job. Anyway, they offered me the job and that was a very steep learning curve. You had to know about analgesia, um, red flag symptoms, traumas, um, medical history contraindications. It was completely different to dental nursing. You know, I think a lot of dental nurses probably think, well, I've done dental nurses for 10, 15 years. I'll, I'll be able to triage no problem, but it's it's com- a completely different ball game. You know, you need to know um, what pain relief they've taken. Is it an overdose? Does that coincide with the medication that they're on from the GP? Um, how much they've taken over a 24-hour period? Is that safe for the height and the weight? You have to learn to use something called Talkspace where you can put all the patient details in and then that'll give you a report to say, yeah, they're safe or no, they've taken an accidental overdose. Um, you know, what is a red flag symptom? A swelling up to the eye? Does that need A&E? Does it need max vax? A swelling forcing the eye close, affecting the breathing? There's so much involved to urgent care triage. And I was, I was fascinated. My first few days, I thought, wow, this is a lot. But it was so really interesting. Just, just for clarity there. So this was a service where people were phoning to then be allocated where to go to receive emergency dental treatment. Yeah. So it's our job to assess the patient, almost like 111, you know, with a, oh, medical, right, okay. yeah, yeah. a medical problem issue out of hours. So they come through, you take the call, you assess them, ask all the relevant questions, and then it's your job to decide if they need A&E, to see Maxfax, if it's, you know, an emergency, they need IV antibiotics um, or incision drainage, or if it's a severe trauma, if they need Maxfax, then you have to bleep Maxfax. Um, whether they've taken an accidental overdose, then they need a blood test to make sure that they're safe. Um, whether they just need a um, standard pain management advice, you know, they've got a dentist, they can see them the following day, so just give them some pain management advice and safety net them. Or whether they need an urgent care appointment from a dentist out of hours but obviously those appointments are limited so you you have to be very careful with your triage because you need to make sure one the patient's safe and two you're directing them to the correct service you know we don't want to clog a and e up we don't want to waste max fax time but we also don't want to waste the urgent care appointments because you know you you don't know what your next call is going to be you know you could be dealing with a patient who's had severe toothache for 48 hours they've taken some paracetamol some ibuprofen um, and it's not really doing a lot for them where you can then advise right well you need to take some cocodamol instead of your paracetamol and that maybe will get another 24 hours out of them because your next call could be a child with a severe swelling you know that's starting to creep up towards the eye so you know you've always got to think well the next call might need that appointment yes. can I justify if, if I was to get questioned yeah. about booking this appointment can I justify it 
So, yeah, I think that. Well, yeah. That, yes. I mean, a lot you more describe, to think about that. You, you describe it beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was interesting because you know, you get patients that are just irate. I'm going to leave a suicide note with your name on it. I'm going to go and drive my car off a cliff. I've been in be agony for weeks. How did? How was? patient management because i guess that's uh, difficult another aspect well and i think it makes you in pain and that whole thing of you know really wanting some urgent care i think yeah. that uh, it must be very very hard yeah. isn't it? oh i'm robust i'm bulletproof there's nothing you could say <laughs> to hurt my feelings after that job i'm like oh, all right yeah i hope you die i hope your children die so, yeah some of the things that the patients say to you uh, and you get a lot of safeguarding cases as well which is difficult it's difficult to deal with you know it's the ones that you go home and think about you take home afterwards the mm. patients in pain that scream and swear and shout and threaten you you know that's one thing you kind of understand it you know they've been in copious amount of pain most of them are dental phobic you know they've not seen a regular dentist in five ten years the mouth's probably going to be you know in a bit of a sorry state but the safeguarding cases is the one that i i would take home a lot where you know you'd get them calling up and the child's three they've got wall-to-wall decay they're booked in for a full clearance in three months they've got swelling multiple swellings that you can hear the child screaming in the background they've taken the max dose of calpol max dose of ibuprofen you can hear the child screaming and you've got no appointments left or you know the clinics have closed because the clinics aren't open 24 7. the last appointment is half past eight at night and we're open till 10. So if you get a nine o'clock call with a child who's due a full clearance at three and he's screaming in agony, it's it's hard. And then obviously you have to safeguard I, I, it. I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. it is it is difficult. And that was what element. yeah, what I would take home the most, not the abuse. Which is fine. But it sounds like you got that learning curve that you wanted that extra that extra opportunity. And it must have yeah. been a learning curve. I remember my first job. call, I was like, sorry. <laughs> pardon just sworn at me <laughs> yeah and then a week later you're like it's fine you're all right we'll take care of you don't worry but yeah the first few calls you're like oh i wasn't expecting that and this was all pre-covid is that right yeah way way before covid and then covid happened yeah so i was a triage nurse for six years and then the contracts because it was the contract was split into smaller urgent care contracts so the company that I was working for at the time tendered for the entire contract for Greater Manchester and then they needed a service lead. So I applied for the job. I mean, I applied for the job and then talked myself out of it three times before I actually went to the interview. And I got the job and I was only in post for six months managing the entire service. It's a brand new service as well. It's a lot, probably four times bigger than the one I was working on previously. Um, I was managing it and yeah, I was in post for six months and the pandemic hit. So that was another steep learning curve. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. So I'm quite interested. You said you were kind of talking yourself out of it. Was that because you didn't know if it was a job that you wanted to do or you didn't know whether it was something that you could do or why were you women yeah. and in about taking that next step? I think all my management experience has been in practice and this service lead level management is entirely different. You know, you're answering to NHS England, Public Health England. And I kind of was just a bit like, even though I know the job inside out and I was the go-to on shift for, 
you know, the other, the rest of the team, it was always, oh, I've got this patient, I'm not sure what to do with it. Sarah, can I ask you a question? And I knew I was confident in the job, but it was the management side of things, you know, the KPIs and the call demand, because I knew that, you know, the call surges were very, very unpredictable. I was a bit like, are you sure that you can carry this service? Because it is a big ask, you know, you could have three days of it being really stable and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, ATM, you've got 175 patients waiting on the line and you've only staffed it for 50 because the last three months you've only had 50 at ATM. They just come out of nowhere mm. and then you're a bit like, I've got to deliver this service and you know, there's KPIs to meet. So I was a bit like, well, is that a responsibility you want to take on? And I'm glad I did. I would never, ever change anything. I, do, I miss it. I miss the chaos. Well, that's interesting that you obviously did well in that job, even though you had those reservations. So uh, I guess if you would speak back to yourself or somebody else that's in that kind of position who's umming and ahhing about whether they have the ability to, do, to, to take on a role like that, would you have any advice for either your historic self or to somebody else that might be also unsure whether they have the ability to do something like that? Yeah, I think I'd just say, you know, as long as you feel you know the job inside out, you know, there's always going to be areas to be learned in any job. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, you know, guidance changes, you know, like I had the pandemic, we'd never experienced a pandemic before, never mind a pandemic on a service that has only been open six months. And you know, call volumes went from maybe 400 to two and a half thousand, three thousand a day. And that's not something that's ever been experienced before. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've just got to have faith in your own ability, I think. And there's a reason you applied for it in the first place. And I think you've, you know, you've got to lead with that gut feeling of, I can do that job. And I think it's just the time from, yeah, I can do the job, I'll apply for it to the interview, you start thinking, can I do the job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, am I the job? I don't think so. But yeah, I was the job. Yeah, I'm proud to say I was the job. And so then moved on to a completely different job because now you're developing um, all sorts of things related to orthodontics. You're directors of operations for a small group of orthodontic practices. That, that might not necessarily be the classic route again for a dental nurse to do. So yeah. something very different. So what made you leave urgent care and go into orthodontics? I think it was the same as the rest of my jobs, really. I feel like I'd kind of hit the ceiling of where I was. You know, I'd mobilised the service. I'd run it through a pandemic. I brought it out of the COVID exit smoothly you know, I'd secured additional funding, additional appointment capacity. We were maxed out on staff. I had a really good team of um, head dental nurses that ran the ground and the call centre for me and really good clinic managers. And I kind of felt a little bit redundant. I thought, I've got it. Too good a job. <laughs> I thought, I've got it to a place now where I'm just watching it tick. You know, there's tweaks here and there, but there's no major challenges. And it's almost like, I'd got used to the excitement of the pandemic where every day there was something different. You know, the call volumes were spiking. We need to think of different ways of, you know, getting additional bodies on phone lines and assessing patients and, you know, training foundation dentists on urgent care, triage. 
and bringing the foundation dentists in as a redeployment. You know, there was all that excitement around urgent care. And then when it settled down, I thought, it's a bit of an anticlimax. This, what we're going to do for the next five years if we get the tender? It's not really much more for me to achieve here. So then I just kind of had one eye looking and I saw the job. And then when I had the interview, the owner said, you know, we're developing a software, we're developing our own aligners, we want to um, mobilize a orthodontic therapy school, a dental nurse school. And I was like, it's got my name all over it. Take me, please. And that sounds like a really busy job. And I think we can um, probably tease that out a bit more, can't we, Josh? Yeah, for sure. I think so. One of the things you mentioned was about this orthodontic therapy apprenticeship. Yep. And I think that's more aimed towards dental nurses. Is that right? Yeah. So still keeping in your roots in, in, in dental nursing. So it must be exciting to be involved in developing something like that and being involved in educating your colleagues yeah and i'm sure there's other nurses that like yourself are looking for those additional routes to take and this seems like a a good route for for them to 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 go along but what do you think are, are the challenges that you've had in in building that and also the good things we don't just want to talk about the negatives also have been interesting and exciting about working on that project yeah the challenges have been um finding somebody to write the course material. Um, it is a very niche um, topic. There's not that many um, orthodontic therapy courses around, not at the moment anyway. I think they're probably gonna become more popular um, because it's becoming a little bit more easier to get the courses mobilized. I've had a couple of meetings with the GDC lately um, and they're really championing and backing the uh, apprenticeship scheme, which is obviously great for the students because they don't have to fund it and they don't have to find, you know, an employer or a loan that will fund it. It's government funded, which I think is really good for, for dental nurses, especially because, you know, we all know the wage isn't great. Uh, they've got their indemnity to pay. They've got the registration fees to pay. So, yeah, I think I think it's a really good project to work on. And it's good for, for other fellow dental nurses as well. So, yeah, apprenticeships all the way. That's really interesting hearing you talk about the apprenticeship and your involvement with developing this new course. And, and it's clear to see that this is a, is a very positive thing for dental nurses out there. But let's just go back to your job for a moment. And you're saying that also you're developing software um, as part of that project? Yeah. So we, at the moment, the company is developing their own orthodontic software. Um. I don't, I don't know where the ideas come from, uh, if I'm honest, but the software that we are developing is fantastic. It's like nothing that I've ever worked with. So it'll do like auto ordering, um, you know, ask the clinicians, did you use an arch wire? Did you use brackets? And, you know, they tick them off and it will then send an automatic email to the orders. Um, and the then this software is going to be perhaps also used for service provision for the patient. So those clinicians will be able to get their funding related to the NHS costings for orthodontic treatment? Yeah, so what will happen is it's going to be like, you know, your standard softwares, which is R4, OrthoTrack, um, software of excellence. Um, and then I think the plan eventually is to have it licensed um, so it can be used in NHS practices as well. So it 
the focus for the software is keeping the clinicians in the mouth as much as possible. So, you know, it does like, you can uh, dictate your notes. There's lots of features on it that I've never seen before, which will save time for the clinicians. So that's something that is going to be really positive. So that sounds as though that's been a really interesting, quite steep learning curve for you too, because clearly you weren't necessarily involved in orthodontic software in your past jobs. No, and I'm not a developer. (laughs) I've had to learn a lot. Yes. So I'm guessing some people might be listening to this podcast thinking, ooh, a orthodontic therapy school going to be opening later on this year? Yep. Um, how are they going to be able to hear about it? Um, so we're going to be affiliated with a university. Um, we're hoping Liverpool-based. So once we've sent everything off to the GDC and had it signed off, which will be in the next probably month, six weeks, um, we're then going to affiliate, affiliate ourselves with a university, um, Manchester, Liverpool area, um, and then we're going to start, yeah, advertising and taking students on. And how many students would that be? We're probably going to take on 12 to 15 twice a year. So we'll start the end of this year and then sort of beginning of next year, we'll take another cohort on. That's a big school. Yeah, I think it, the, N- the NHS especially needs it. You know, we've we've noticed ourselves that trying to find therapists is very, very difficult. They just don't exist because, you know, a lot stay um, in like the hospital settings and then, you know, some will move away to different areas of the country and yeah, it's, they are very difficult to find. There's not a lot of them around. There's a lot of different things that you're working on and you have worked on up until this point. And I'm quite interested to hear how you think your uh, initial dental nurse training has, has helped prepare you and helped uh, helped you through these various different paths that you've, you've followed since then. Do you think that was a good solid foundation? Do you think there's elements that you still use from your dental nurse training? Oh, definitely, yeah. When I was nursing, you know, it was what, 16, 17 years ago. Things were a lot different to, to how they are now. And I've worked with a lot of difficult dentists. So I had to have a very thick skin okay. from the off. <laughs> I'm not saying dentists are difficult in general, but the ones I worked with early on were very difficult. Um, so yeah, I developed this thick skin very early in my career. You know, and you have to have a thick skin, you know, when you're going into board meetings with like the head of primary care asking for additional funding, you you know, you've got to prepare for them to just laugh you out the door <laughs> and say, absolutely not, you're not having the money. So yeah just you know take professional rejection with a pinch of salt and try not to let it affect what you choose to do moving forward because i think if i'd have done that there's no way i would have you know put myself in front in some job interviews that i was almost convinced i wasn't going to get i wouldn't have even applied for the job if i was scared of rejection i just stayed a dental nurse for the last 16 years i think it would be fair to say that you're a leader would you yeah you know, I like um, to think so yes so what sort of advice would you give to people perhaps who are considering you know a leadership role and I don't mean necessarily dental nurses I'm talking this podcast is for for the whole team but some people are sort of thinking oh do you know I I might sort of start doing something slightly different in my working week 
and and go into that sort of leadership role. So what sort of advice would you give for somebody who's thinking about doing that? I'd probably just say learn as much as you can and pick out your role models. You know, so if you're in a practice, for example, and you've got, say like my current job at the moment, we've got a legal director and he's just fantastic. I just love listening to him talk. He's articulate, he's smart, he's calm. He's got a very sort of soothing nature about him. There's nothing irate or, you know, that sort of puts you on edge. And I really admire that in in a leader. So I think, you know, pick out the strengths in the team and what traits, you know, that you admire in, in the team that surrounds you and almost just mold yourself to them. You know, if you think they communicate really well, how do they do it? Ask them questions, find out, you know, how did you learn how to communicate so well without get you know getting animated or raising your voice or getting upset you know how do, how did you learn how to do that is it something you've always had or because that's why I did I used to ask question after question and I think people would sick to the back teeth of me but I would never stop asking show me how you do that teach me how to do it I want to know how you know or why and I think that's really sort of built some solid foundations for me that's 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 very good advice actually isn't it because I I think um and presumably that sort of thing never stops. I mean, actually, it's a sad day when we stop learning and, and we're nothing without our colleagues and our friends and family and even the patients. You know, we're, we're learning from them all the time, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, still, I'm still asking a million and one questions. I think I always will. I think that's just my nature. But again, it stands me in really good stead because, you know, I can refer back to the questions that I asked five, ten years ago and think, oh, I remember when you know, the executive of my previous job, you know, taught me about this or explained something to me and you can always refer back to it. So yeah, I think it's, it's really useful. So to having ask. those key people in your life has really made a very big difference yeah, to and you. and recognise them early on and then, you know, ask the questions to them. So although you've had all these various different roles since you're, since you're initially a dental nurse, I'm sure there's, there's other dental nurses out there that were in that position that you were in where they wanted to develop themselves further and wanted to to learn and do more. So I guess my question's two parts, really. First of all, how would you motivate and inspire dental nurses to take that next step and, and progress maybe more than just being clinical uh, clinical dental nurses if that's what they want to do? And what can we do as a profession to help support them? Because there's not a huge amount of different options for dental nurses that do want to progress. Do you see anything that we could be doing differently to, to help in that area? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would encourage them to recognize the strengths and what they enjoy most about the job. So, you know, if their interest is clinical, then, you know, look at orthodontic therapy, look at, um, even treatment coordination, you know, learning about implants or, you know, fixed appliances, removable appliances. So find what interests you the most and what you enjoy doing and then build on that. You know, what can I do further in that department, whether it's clinic, if it's non-clinical, you know, management, if it's clinical, additional courses, therapy, hygiene, orthodontic therapy, and build off that because I think 
there's a lot of dental nurses that maybe want to progress but they wouldn't even know where to start yeah because there isn't that much you know for us to do really um you know you get the post calls the impression taking scanning radiography but then once you've done those you know they're only 12 months courses they're not anything that's going to take any real length of time they're kind of stuck then so i think think outside of the box do what you enjoy because as long as you enjoy it you know you will always enjoy it it's one of those things it's you know i like solving problems that's why i'm in operations um but yeah i would always encourage them to do what they enjoy first and then secondly how can they build on that and just you know look at other options within the realms of what they can do and even if you know it's not necessarily dental nursing there is a few jobs out there that you still need your clinical knowledge for like urgent care triage um treatment coordination you know that's really big at the moment you know nearly every practice that i know i've got treatment coordinators in and yeah, so it's a nice job perhaps say talk a little bit more about those um those roles in dental practices because like you say there's a lot more out there isn't there the, these people are really educating patients about their treatment yeah yeah there's you know the treatment coordinators who have to have a real solid clinical knowledge because they need to educate the patients to make an informed decision on the treatment that they're effectively going to be buying um but then there's also like the nhs oral health education side um you know they could get into public health which i find absolutely fascinating there's a lot for them to do other than just your standard dental nursing um and is there anything you think that we could be doing as a profession to support them because it seems like there's there are options but it's going out there and, and finding those options which is fine but is there anything that that you think that we could be doing as a profession to help help support that i think dental nurses need to be recognized as professionals I still don't think we're quite there with recognizing that they are professionals, you know, within their own right. And we pay registration, uh, we pay indemnity insurance, we're allowed to do radiography courses. Um, but I still don't feel sort of as a culture uh, in dentistry, we are quite there to recognize nurses. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more we could be doing in general practice to take the weight off the clinician and free up clinical time than what we're allowed to do. So, so we all need to look at our dental nurse and utilise them more effectively. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more to us. So we've talked a lot about your professional life and I'm just interested to know whether you've had... Um, a really hard professional decision that you've had to make in your career that's perhaps made you the person that you are now? I think the hardest decision I've ever had to make, I mean, there's probably two, I think the hardest decision I ever had to make was dropping my son off to an empty school during the pandemic because I was working 18, 19 hour days. It was really full on, you know, and there's that, I've got a duty to the service and my job and my registration to take care of these patients. But I'm dropping my son off to an empty school. You know, there was, I think there was one other child that he knew in the school because his parents were doctors. So that was really difficult. It, you know, it was, it was a sort of 
an emotional pull of my duty to the service and the patients or you know me being around a, in a pandemic my son yes i mean he was absolutely fine it did him the world of good but um i think yeah that was really difficult for me and i did feel you know feel guilty for a long time after that but i think the second one would be leaving urgent care because i wasn't being fulfilled in my role at the end but that service was my baby I'd built it from scratch, you know, all the staff, I knew every single staff, I knew the, the children's names, you know, I knew what they were doing on a weekend. Because and you we were really were... making a difference to a whole host of people, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a, that's a big commitment there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And during the pandemic, I was working seven days a week for seven months, maybe, not a single day off. I had COVID, I worked when I had COVID. You know, my commitment to that service was second to none. And so my staff and my team were exactly the same. But I think they they did it because we were a team and they knew that, you know, when the going got tough, I would jump on the phone lines with them at 11 o'clock at night when they still had 150 calls on and they were supposed to finish an hour ago. I would log on from home and take the calls with them. So it worked both ways. You know, they worked really well for me, but when they needed me, I would also jump in the trenches. That's leadership for you, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed. Some would disagree. Well, no, I, I think give yourself some credit there. I think that's uh, quite an amazing story. My question to you is, despite all of this, do you miss clinical dentistry? Do you miss chairside dental nursing? Or is there any aspects that you that you particularly miss? I don't No, I wouldn't say I miss nursing in general. I think what I do miss is learning about the science behind everything we do because that was that was my interest that's what held me in dental nursing for so long learning you know just about absolutely everything medical histories um contraindications dentition new nice guidelines that was all really interesting so i do miss that clinical side but physical hand hands-on nursing not really no and patients yeah, I, I love patients. I miss, I think I miss, the, the, patients, I miss I? the urgent I think... care patients, though. The, All of them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, I do miss the urgent care patients. I think that's one of the lovely things about our job, isn't it? That, you know, I often sort of say to people, you know, you just get exposed in dentistry to a whole host of people that you would probably never meet ordinarily. Um, and And then if you're really lucky... You grow with that person. You you see them develop as you know young children into young adults into adulthood, or or just have a development of of a person that is seeing you on a regular basis. I think it's a real privilege in dentistry. Yeah, that's what I love about orthodontics as well, because they're under treatment for eighteen months, and you're seeing them every couple of months. You know, you almost get to watch them grow up. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it is. And nice. actually changing the position of somebody's teeth is a is a colossal, yeah. you know, development. I mean that's that's sort of life changing dentistry, isn't it? Yeah. Moving moving people's teeth. Yeah, and it's you know, it's a real confidence boost as well, you know, for some of the children who are not as confident, you know, a bit more self conscious about their appearance. In you know, your smile makes such a difference. I mean, I don't know if it's my job, but you know, the first thing I notice when I see people, I'm like 
why don't they got lovely teeth? Or, yeah. oh, we could work wonders with those. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, you say about children, children, but I mean, I think it would be fair to say that the, the changes in orthodontics have really led not just children to have orthodontic treatment. Yeah. You know, we're, we're now getting adults. You know, I, I had a patient of mine who at the age of 63 had a fixed appliance. So, you know, age is no barrier. Yeah. And I think it looks great as well when you see like the, you know, the 50, 60 year olds with fixed appliances. There's something that I really like about seeing that. It's I remember when I saw it was a gentleman and complete head of gray hair and he smiled and he, yeah, he had a, a fixed appliance. And I was like, wow, you look great with that on. It's it's just unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's Not inspiring so and, and clearly um, a good thing for them to have done. Part of this podcast, we always end up asking a sort of little random question of our guests. And I, I say random because, you know, it's probably not the conventional podcast question. Yeah. Um, if you had a billboard poster in the middle of Piccadilly Circus and you were able to put a dental message on there for everybody to read, what sort of thing might you put up on it? I think going back to urgent care, please do not do things out of desperation when you've got raging toothache. So like attempt to take your own teeth out, take copious amounts of pain relief. Um, you know, paracetamol is way more toxic than people think it is. So please just contact professionals as soon as it starts. Don't wait for five days until you've had no sleep and you're starving. To, to seek help, that's probably really good advice. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good advice. Yes. Good advice. So now we we started at the start. We've run through a whole host of different things that you've done up until this point. So I guess the logical place to go now is what does the future hold? Where where are you where are you going from here? Oh, I knew that was coming. Um I don't I have no idea. I've I would ideally I would like to obviously mobilize the therapy course watch it run for you know at least a year ensure you know the software is developed and see so you get licensed and and marketed that would be nice um in a dream world maybe be the exec of a, a trust maybe be a commissioner i would like to commission dental services that yeah, that's something I would really enjoy, especially an urgent care service. Do you know, I, <laughs> I'm i sitting here listening to you and I think anything is possible because you have achieved an enormous amount in your professional career. So, Well, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sarah. It's been a real, real joy having yeah, you on here. It's having been me. a pleasure. Thank you. I've loved it. If you've been inspired by that episode, did you know that the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre provide training for the whole dental team? Follow us on social media or search for the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre to find out more. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, share, Subscribe and listen out for future episodes.